Uh, but thank you all for being here. As I mentioned earlier, we are in part two of a message series that we're calling Relationship Repair. And as the name indicates, this message series is all about repairing damaged relationships. Now here's the deal. In our culture, we are pretty good at starting relationships, right? You meet somebody, a coworker, or somebody at school or whatever it is, or somebody at church, and you're not going to be best friends with every person you meet, and that's okay. That's not a requirement, right? But we're pretty good at starting relationships and being friendly with one another, and that's great. And we're pretty decent at maintaining relationships, right? As long as nobody does anything offensive or says anything rude, we're pretty good at maintaining relationships in our culture. But we are terrible. We are terrible at repairing relationships when there's been damage. There's been damage to a relationship, when there's been hurt feelings, where there, there has been an offense. We are no good. We are lousy at repairing broken relationships. Now, maybe you're the exception of that, but most of us in our culture, we just have never been taught how to repair a broken relationship, how to damage a relationship that's been fractured. We just haven't been taught. It's not been modeled for us. It's not been taught to us. In fact, we just kind of, those of us who are Christians too often, we just follow the way of the world, and if someone wrongs us, we just cut that person out of our lives, and we block that person on social media, and that's just, we're just done with that person. I guess that's the instinctive thing to do. But Jesus has called us, those of us who are his followers, called us to this ministry of reconciliation. And yes, sometimes we Christians, we focus on the reconciliation between human beings and God, just that, that kind of relationship that works on the vertical path there, right? But we also have to be reconciled on the horizontal path, the horizontal plane. Be reconciled to one another. And so the reason that we're doing this message series, and it's only a four-part series, is to give us an idea of how to begin the work of repairing those broken relationships. Last week, we talked about forgiveness, and uh, probably not a subject you've heard about, uh, probably is a subject you've heard about in the past. If you spend enough time in a church setting, you're going to hear about forgiveness. And uh, what I'm going to ask you to do is if you missed part one of this message series, um, please, for your own sake, catch up on that. It's available on our website. It's available on our YouTube page. You can watch the video. You can listen to it. Uh, here's a little pro tip. You can listen in like twice the speed, which is what I do, right? And so like you get it done in half the time, right? Okay. But do yourself a favor and listen to part one or watch part one because that's the first step on the road to reconciliation. That's forgiveness. So you don't want to miss that step. The first step on that road to reconciliation is forgiveness. It's a big step. It can be very difficult, again, depending on the level of the offense or how much damage has been done, but forgiveness is, <clears throat> is very important. Now, I was a church kid growing up, and I grew up in a Christian household, and what I mean by that is that my parents were both believers in Jesus, and we grew up going to church, and so at home and in Sunday school and in worship service, I learned about the importance of forgiveness. That is something that was stressed. That is something that was taught. And I was taught that I needed to forgive those who had wronged me for two reasons. One, because God says so, right? And that's how it works when you're a follower of God, when you're a follower of Jesus. If you actually are going to follow his commands, when he commands you to do something, you just have to do it. Whether it's easy or not, whether it's easy or difficult, if you're commanded to do it, you have to do it. And so God commands us to forgive one another. In fact, last week we talked about the fact that Jesus says, if you want to be forgiven by your heavenly Father, then you need to forgive others when they sin against you. And so that's what I was taught. You have to forgive other people because God says so. But there's another reason why we are to forgive one another. It's not for God's sake and it's not for the sake of the person who offended you. It's for your, for your own sake. For your own sake, we have to forgive one another. For your own sake, you need to forgive that person who has wronged you to let go 
oh, let go of that bitterness and resentment for your own sake. In fact, when you look at the rationale behind why God commands us to do things, right? It's for our own sake. So God commands us to forgive one another. When there's been a uh, damage, where there's been an offense, where there's been a wrong, you have to forgive that other person. And God says, you need to do this for your own sake because God does not want us carrying around bitterness and resentment. That's no way to live. And it's such a shame that so many of us human beings and so many of us followers of Jesus, we live with that persistent, that daily bitterness and resentment. And I'll tell you what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to pretend that it's not there because sometimes that's what we do as Christians. Oh, I'm not feeling bitter. I'm not feeling resentment. Mm. No, he doesn't want us to pretend. He wants us to really forgive and let go of that bitterness and resentment. So again, growing up in a Christian setting around Christian people, I was taught about the importance of forgiving someone truly in my heart. You need to forgive that person in your heart. That's something I was taught, but I was not taught about the importance of being reconciled, actually restoring the broken relationship, being reconciled to one another. I was taught, at least I walked away with the impression that all I had to do was forgive somebody in my heart and that was enough. Well, hang on. Yeah, Jesus does command us to forgive, but what about his command to be reconciled to one another? Forgiveness in and of itself. It's a big thing. It's an important thing. But forgiveness in and of itself does not automatically equal reconciliation, does it? There is a difference. How many of us, I'm looking at this group of people, some of you have church in your background, some of you have Christian life in your background. How many of us walk through our Christian life thinking it was enough to simply forgive other people in our hearts, and that's that? I mean, I don't want to see that person. I don't want to run into them when I'm at the supermarket. I don't want to see them in public. I don't want to go to church with them. But I've forgiven that person in my heart, and that's all I have to do, and that's good enough. Is it? Forgiveness. It's an important first step, but that's all it is, is a first step on that road to reconciliation. Forgiveness is the first step. It is not the last step. At this point, I do need to uh, point out the fact that reconciliation between two people, it's not always possible. Not always. It's not always wise to be reconciled. In fact, sometimes it's not always safe. There be situations where maybe there's been abuse or there's been some kind of violence or whatever it is, and you don't really want to pursue reconciliation with people like that, okay? But hopefully by the time we get to the end of this series, you'll have some clarity about, okay, well, where should I pursue reconciliation and where should I not? Hopefully that'll make more sense as we go forward with this series. Remember, God commands us to be reconciled, and it's not just for his sake. It's because he does not want us holding on to bitterness and resentment. If you noticed on the back of your bulletin, or maybe you didn't notice, um, Right there where it says relationship repair underneath, it says that this series was based on somebody else's message series. Um, Andy Stanley did a four-part series called Reassembly Required. And uh, originally, I was going to just preach Andy's four sermons right in a row. But as we got closer and closer to the beginning of this series, I thought, you know what? I need to repackage this a little bit and reorganize this a little bit. And so if you want to hear like the Jedi master of preaching preach through this content, uh, you can listen to Reassembly Required. You can watch those videos, Okay. But as I was first going through this content, I'm listening to what Andy has to say, and he shared something that was just so simple and so wise. 
he pointed out that there is a phrase that we use, a phrase that we use, and when we use this phrase about somebody else, it is a clear sign that we are holding on to bitterness and resentment. And when we use this phrase about people who have hurt us, when we use this phrase, it's a clear indication that we need to forgive that person and we need to actually pursue reconciliation with that person. That forgiveness in the heart is not enough. We need to actually pursue reconciliation. It's a simple phrase. You know what? Can you guess what it is? It's a simple phrase that we use about those people who have hurt us. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. That person comes up in conversation. Hey, did you hear about that guy who wronged you? Yeah, he was hanging out with our mutual friends above. Well, I don't care. I don't care what he does. I don't care who he spends time with. He's got nothing to do with me. I don't care, right? Or, hey, did you hear about that, you know, that, that lady that wronged you and she just got a promotion above? Well, I don't care about that. You know, what she does in her life with her work, I don't care about that. Did you hear about that guy who wronged you and he put something on social media and he was describing a situation that seemed kind of passive-aggressive? Maybe he was describing you. I don't care what he put on social media. I don't care about that guy. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Have you ever caught yourself using that phrase? I don't care what she said. I don't care about him. Yeah, you probably do. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you've caught yourself using that phrase, right? Or maybe you've caught your spouse using that. I don't care. I think you do care. I think you do. If you find yourself using that phrase, oh, a lot of smiling faces, okay. If you find yourself using that phrase, that is a clear sign. Take that as your sign. That that's somebody you need to forgive and pursue reconciliation with that person. Because guess what? You do care. You do care. So, forgiveness is the first step. Where do we go from there? You know, we do this work, we identify the person that we need to forgive, and we do this work of, of letting go. We do this work, we let go of the whole idea of what that person deserves or what, you just take deserve out of the equation. You choose to cancel their debt, you know, what they owe to you, you just cancel that debt. They've wronged, you're going to cancel that debt, you're going to pray for that person. And so you're doing all these things, right? You're working on forgiving that person, but what's next? How do you go beyond just heart-level forgiveness into actually reconciling that relationship? Well... Let's see how Jesus did it. We're going to take a look at this passage that's in your bulletin from John chapter 21. And we're going to see how Jesus goes about this work of pursuing reconciliation. Because here's the thing about Jesus. He teaches us what to do. He commands us what to do. But if we take a look at his life, he also models for us how to do the things he has commanded us to do. So we're going to take a look at this passage this is a very strange conversation, a strange uh, communication between Jesus and one of his disciples. And so I'm going to attempt to give you some backstory here, but just know that I'm taking shortcuts. There's a very long story that leads up to this conversation between these two men. It starts way back in the early days of Jesus' ministry, where he's just beginning to call his followers. And this man, Simon, is one of Jesus' first followers, one of the first four and so Simon is called by Jesus to become one of his followers, and there's this miraculous event that happens, and so Jesus is there teaching the people, and Simon's right there, and he says, Simon, can you take me out on your fishing boat? I need to get some distance between myself and the crowds, and so Simon takes Jesus out on his fishing boat, and Simon's just a fisherman, and there's Jesus preaching from his boat, and so the teaching time is over, and Jesus says to Simon, did you catch any fish last night? He says, we didn't catch anything last night. He says, all right, we'll throw your nets back down into the water. 
Simon says, listen, you're a rabbi, I'm a fisherman, right? So I know my business, and you know your business, rabbi, right? And I know this isn't the right time to fish, but because you have told me to, Lord, because you have told me to, Master, I'm going to do what you say. Even though it doesn't make sense, I'm going to do what you say. Simon throws down the net, tries to pull it back up. There's so many fish in that net, they can't bring it up. They need to get another boat out there, and they drag the net to the shore. Once they get to the shore, Simon falls to his face and says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Jesus says, stand up, Simon. You're going to become a fisher of men. Okay, let's go. I don't think he knew what that meant, but he was on for the ride. All right, let's go. So he becomes a follower of Jesus. And so again, from the very early days of Jesus' ministry, this man, Simon, was there. At this pivotal moment in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus renames Simon, gives him a new name, Peter. Now your name is Peter. So what a big deal. Can you imagine to have that kind of a relationship with Jesus where he changes your name? Now you're Peter, which means the rock. And on this rock, on your understanding, because Peter understood that Jesus was the Son of God. He says, on your understanding, I'm going to build my movement. I'm going to build my church. So this is an exciting thing. Like, wow, I've got a new name. Jesus renamed me. I've got to update my business cards and all this stuff. It's like a wonderful thing. So he becomes Peter. Yes, he's the rock man. He's rocky. He's the rock on which Jesus will build his Church, we go forward in the timeline, we get to the time of the Last Supper, the evening before the crucifixion of Jesus, and Jesus is there with his disciples, he's there with the rock, he's there with Peter, and he's telling Peter, he's telling the others what's about to happen to him, he's about to be crucified, that he's going to be betrayed, that he's going to be crucified. Peter says, we can't let this happen to you. Jesus says to Peter, listen, here's what's going to happen, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me. Three times. Three times. You know what Peter says? Peter says, listen, those other guys, they might all flee, right? These chumps, these bozos, they might all run away. But not me. I'm going to stay with you. I will never deny you, Lord. So what happens? Jesus is arrested, and everybody flees. Everybody flees. Now, John, we don't know all the details, but John had a man on the inside. He knew somebody who worked with the Sanhedrin or worked for the Sanhedrin. And so John finds out where this trial is going to take place, this middle-of-the-night trial of Jesus. And so John takes Peter along, and there's Peter. And it's just Peter and John at this point. The other guy's gone. Just two of the 12 are there. So Peter's there, and John gets a little bit closer to the action, and Peter's right there, and he's watching what's happening. And we don't know if he can hear what's going on in this trial, but Peter can see Jesus and Jesus, if he were to turn his head, would be able to see Peter from where he is. So Peter's in this outside courtyard, and it's cold, and they get this, this um, coal-burning fire going because it's cold out there. So they're standing around. They're warming themselves by the fire, and there's Peter just looking at Jesus, watching Jesus. Someone approaches Peter and says, hey, were you one of Jesus' followers? He says, no, 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 it wasn't me. I'm not one of Jesus' followers. He's warming himself, and he's watching Jesus, and there he is. Somebody else comes up and says, wait a minute, you're a Galilean. You can tell you're definitely one of Christ's followers. He's like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not one. Okay, Jesus, I'm here for you. Here I am. Right? Like, I don't know what was going on in his head. I don't know. I don't know. You know, what was he thinking? How could he do this? How could he, how could he deny that he knows Jesus? Self-preservation probably, right? I mean, isn't it enough that he's right there? Everybody else was gone. It was just John and Peter. Isn't it enough that he's there? Warming himself by the fire. Third time, somebody comes up to him. I know I saw you with Jesus. And then he starts cursing. Okay, I'm not going to reenact that for you, right? <laughs> he says, I don't know the man. And right at that moment, you know what happens. Rooster crows. 
here's the tough part. Oh. Right when that rooster crows, Jesus looks at Peter. Peter runs out of the courtyard and weeps bitterly. And when Jesus is crucified, Peter isn't there. John is. In fact, John's the only disciple that made it to the foot of the cross. But Peter, Peter wasn't there. So this horrible event takes place. Horrible event. That's an understatement. Crucifixion of Jesus, the heartbreak, the agony, the wondering what's going to happen next, what's going to happen to the disciples. Three days yet later, raises from the dead. So there's Jesus, and Jesus appears among his disciples. They were in a locked room, and Jesus appears among them, and he asks them for something to eat, and they see that it's really him. And it's a miracle, and it's wonderful, and you can just imagine the excitement and the joy and the terror and the confusion and the joy all mixed together. Wow, he's back. Jesus is back. He's risen from the dead, the excitement. But what is Peter thinking and feeling? What's he thinking? What's he feeling? Only he knows that. Guilt, probably, maybe. Is that somewhere in the mix? Happiness, joy, excitement. What about the guilt over what he had done? Jesus appears to his disciples. In this period of time, before the ascension, before Jesus rises up to heaven, it's a confusing time. Well, I shouldn't say it's confusing. It's a mysterious time. Because Jesus appears multiple times to his disciples and he comes and goes as he pleases. There's an occasion where Peter says to his fellow disciples, listen guys, I'm going to go fishing. And they say, well, we'll go with you. We'll all go fishing. So they're out in the boat and they're fishing together. And at this point, Peter still hasn't made things right with Jesus. You know, as far as we know, they never had a conversation about, hey, sorry I betrayed you. Or, sorry I denied you those three times. Sorry about that. Like that conversation hasn't happened yet. So they're out there on that boat. Peter and some of his buddies, and they're fishing, and they're not catching anything. They see a guy standing out on the shore. Guy yells out to him, hey, friends, have you caught anything? They say, no, we haven't caught anything. Guy on the shore says, all right, well, try the other side of the boat. Throw your nuts down on the other side of the boat. And Peter's thinking, this, this feels very familiar. <laughs> I feel like I'm having deja vu here. And so he throws the nets down on the other side, and they come up with this great haul of fish. And Peter knows, and John and Peter look at each other, <laughs> it's Jesus. It's the Lord. And so they start making their way back on the boat, but Peter's like, I can't wait for this. And so he jumps in the water, he swims to the shore, right? <laughs> there he is, all soaking wet. Jesus was there. He already had some fish, by the way. Jesus was there. He has this cold, burning fire going, right? And so for a moment, we don't know how long, but, but at least for a moment, it's just Peter and Jesus sitting across from each other over this cold, burning fire. What does Jesus say? When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, calling him Simon, not Peter, that's interesting. To Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Peter was right. I mean, Jesus knows everything, so he would know. Like, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. In other words, take care of my people. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Again, a strange interaction, but when you consider what's just taken place, for every time that Jesus, that Peter denied Jesus, for every time now he said, I love you. What do we see Jesus doing here? We see him 
going beyond just a heart-level forgiveness. Because Jesus is Jesus. Forgiveness is his deal, right? He had already forgiven Peter for this. He knew what was going on. The forgiveness was already there. But what do we see Jesus doing? It goes beyond that heart-level forgiveness. And he actually takes the initiative in reconciling this relationship. He takes the initiative. Now, maybe you and I would say to Jesus, Jesus, it's enough to forgive the man. He's the one who wronged you, right? So let him come to you. Isn't that the way we think as human beings? I mean, he's the one who did the bad thing. He's the one who denied you. He's the one who wronged you. You've forgiven him in your heart. That's fantastic. That's enough. Let him come to you. But that's not Jesus. He doesn't have time for that kind of thing. He's like, no. Jesus is in the business of reconciliation. And so he goes beyond that heart-level forgiveness, and he is the one to take the He's the one who was wrong, but even though he was wrong, he's the one that takes the initiative. How about that? On the road to reconciliation, first step forgiveness, but then, then we are to take the initiative to approach the person, to take that next steps towards actually interacting with the person who hurt us. Have you struggled with this? Right? Because a lot of us Christians, all us Christian people, we can hide behind the whole, I've forgiven that person in my heart, right? Have you had that attitude? Listen, I'm the one who's been wronged, and so I've done the hard work of forgiveness, and it's a work that's in progress, and it's very difficult because, hey, listen, if you knew how I was wronged, you would realize just how tough it is to forgive. But I'm doing the work of forgiveness, and I've forgiven that person, but they're the one who wronged me. I've done the work of forgiveness. If they want to make things right, they know where to find me. They need to come out to me. They need to reach out to me. Pick up the phone. They can text. They can call. I've done my part. Let them, them do their part. Have you had that attitude? Come on, who hasn't? Who among us has never had that attitude? I'm the one who's been hurt. I'm the one doing the tough work of forgiveness. They don't even deserve the forgiveness, but I'm working on it. Why should I reach out to them? Let them reach out to me. You felt that way? Where's everybody's smiling faces? All your smiles disappear. What's going on? Have you felt that way? Who hasn't? Who hasn't? Who are you feeling that way about right now? Don't say it out loud. <laughs> Just shouting out names. Then I get embarrassing. No, don't do that. Who are you feeling that way about right now? They know where to find me. They can reach out to me. Who are you feeling that way about right now? That's the person that you need to forgive. That's the person that you need to reach out to. I see you bumping each other, you spouses out there. Okay. Hey, wait a minute. What about you? All right. Maybe it's your spouse, but what about you? Who do you need to reach out to? Are you waiting right now? Are you waiting for somebody else to take the initiative and reach out to you? Well, be like Jesus and stop waiting. Go reach out to them. Take, take that initiative. You know, again, as we're thinking about the relationships in our lives and, you know, okay, trying to just come to terms with the fact that we're not going to be able to fix everything. That's part of life is realizing you can't fix everything and there's some relationships you're not going to be able to reconcile. But wait a minute, the person that you're waiting to hear from, that's worth pursuing. That's one of those relationships that's worth pursuing reconciliation. So who is it? Who is it you're waiting to hear from? Maybe, just maybe, 
It's up to you to take the initiative. Here's what I'm going to say to you. This is the first, I think, in our history as a church. I'm going to say something to you. If you're thinking about somebody right now, somebody that you need to take the initiative with, here's what I want you to do. Like I've ever said this before. You ready? I want you to wait, okay? Wait. Usually I'm up here saying, go reach that person and go do, act on this stuff now. I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you to wait. Give it two more weeks, all right? Let's make our way to the end of this message series, okay? But identify that person. Who is it? Or identify those people that you need to take the initiative with. Identify them, and let's, let's just pray over it, and let's give it two weeks. By the time we make our way to the end of this message series, hopefully you'll have a better idea of how to take the initiative with that other person. We, we're going to wait for these two weeks. <laughs> And in those two weeks, if you haven't done so already, we, collectively, we're going to identify who we need to forgive. Specifically, we're going to identify who it is that we need to take the initiative with. And then, here's what we're going to do, church. You ready? We're going to do the thing that we teach our children to do. We are going to be the bigger person. That's what we're going to do. Isn't that what we teach our kids? We'll be the bigger person. That's what we're going to do. We're going to forgive. We're going to identify who do we need to take the initiative with, and then we are going to be the bigger person. We're not going to expect the other person to take the initiative, but we are going to take the initiative in repairing that damaged relationship. You know why? Because we are the ones who have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray on that. Jesus, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that it's impossible to go through this life without having hurt feelings. I mean, it feels like it's just a part of life. You're going to have these interactions. We're going to have these encounters. We're going to be hurt. We're going to be offended. There's going to be people that we're close with. We're going to experience that, that fracturing of relationships. It's just a part of life, God. And yet, Lord, we believe that you do not want us going through life, carrying with us bitterness and resentment. Father God, help us to let go. Allow us to forgive. Allow us to follow not just your command, but allow us to follow your model of what forgiveness looks like, of what reconciliation looks like. Father God, over the course of these next couple of weeks here, I pray that you would be at work in our lives. And Father, you know the deal. We show up at church on a Sunday morning and we hear these ideas, but we can so easily shake all this off, God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will not allow us to shake any of this off. That throughout the rest of the day, throughout the rest of this week, that you would be prodding in our hearts, reminding us that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Father God, reveal to us who it is we need to forgive, who it is we need to take the initiative with. I pray out this in Jesus' name. Amen.